Brandon Tilly works on Fluxor, a set of tools to facilitate building JavaScript data layers using the Flux architecture. Brandon, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Uh, thanks so much. I uh, appreciate you having me. How did you first get into React? Um, I think, like a lot of people, I first um, read about React in, um, you know, like on Reddit on our JavaScript or, or something similar. And uh, I took a look at the homepage, and I was like, "What's this? What's this angle bracket thing that's that's going on in here?" And so I, I kind of, unfortunately, I dismissed it, uh, you know, in the beginning, and and forgot about it. And um, a little while later, um, one of the guys at, at GitHub that works on Atom uh, sent me a message like, hey, have you seen this React thing? And I was like, no, it, it was kind of weird. I, I you know, didn't really like it. And he said, well, there's some good ideas in there. You should really check it out. So I gave it a second look, and uh, I'm really glad I, I did because I've been kind of in love with it ever since. So did the things that you initially were appalled by, did those eventually end up charming you? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, JSX is, is the big one, and I think it's one that, that people talk about a lot. But um, I can't imagine, like, I really can't imagine writing those sorts of UIs without JSX. It's just such a natural way to to do that sort of composition. Why is JSX so crucial to the React workflow? Uh, you know, I think for me, it, it sort of lowers the overhead between thinking about, you know, at least on the web, the DOM that you're creating and the JavaScript objects that you're creating. It's a very sort of one-to-one -one mapping when you're, um, you know, doing something like um, handlebars, templating, then there's like, you know, a completely different language, um, you know, that you're using with a different set of idioms and a different set of, of tools. And with uh, JSX, you've got, you know, a very... You know, very low difference between what you see in the DOM and what you see in your editor, and you also get to use a lot of the, or excuse, you get to use all of the, the JavaScript uh, idioms that you're already used to using with other data structures. Once you were won over by, I guess the the idiosyncrasies of React, did you start using it in some personal projects, or did you start using it at work, or what was the what was the adoption pattern for you? Yeah, I, I definitely started playing with it on, on personal stuff first. I think the first real thing I built with it was a, a Chrome extension uh, that's up on the on the Chrome Web Store. I, I have a problem with tabs. I have a lot of them. And uh, I built a little Chrome extension that would let you do like a fuzzy search through all your tabs. And I decided to, um, to build that with React and um, really, really enjoy that experience. And I think that's what really sold me on, on its, uh, on its uh, capabilities. That's really cool. This is kind of a detour, but how do you build a browser extension? Yeah, it's actually uh, it was very straightforward and, and very similar to kind of um, regular web development. Um, you know, this particular extension has a, uh, you know, a JavaScript uh, file that kind of runs in the background watching for, you know, button presses and that sort of thing. And uh, when you hit the hotkey that's assigned to the extension, it actually just displays a window. Uh, which has an each you know a web page in it, and that web page has the React bundle with the application code. And then um, the only thing that's really special about it is that there are um, you know JavaScript objects available to the page um, that can communicate with you know Chrome and the rest of your extension via you know message passing. Um, so basically, every time you open or close a page, I keep track of what tabs are open and when the web page opens that has the you know the tab list in it it just contacts the chrome extension and, and grabs that whole list and displays them for you fascinating so you don't need to know anything other than javascript in order to write a browser extension yeah absolutely i was um surprised and pleased with with kind of how straightforward <laughs> the whole thing was yeah i assumed there was some some c++ involved but i guess that's like naive um anyway so it's, but since working on hobby projects, have you begun using React at work, or or I, I have no idea what you do. By the way, what what is your job? Sure, yeah, I, I work at the uh, Minerva Project, uh, which is um, a new uh, undergraduate university. We do our classes online, but not in the sort of online classes you would normally think of. We have a, a real time audio video platform that we've built. Um, you can think about it like. Um, uh, Google Hangouts, but with more of an education and real-time data sharing kind of bent to it. And um, some of the associated tooling that I've written for uh, the university is uh, is written in React. And that's, that's actually, very cool. That's a cool project. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun. We, we get to play with a lot of interesting WebRTC uh, technologies and that sort of thing. Yeah, are you rethinking anything around 
online learning? Because like I, I think it, that's a really interesting space to be hacking it. Yeah, it's uh, it is really interesting, and and again, online learning is a little bit of a misnomer. Our students actually um, they travel the world over their their four year education. They start off in San Francisco, and then each semester after that, they'll travel to a different country together. Um, but the classes are presented online, and you know the big idea is like, what if what if we could take you know an Ivy League university and rebuild it knowing what we know today about the science of learning and being able to utilize technology rather than you know most universities just find a way to work university into learning experience and we wanted a way to really utilize technology to go above and beyond what we could do in a real-time class excuse me in a face-to-face classroom that's that's really fascinating well i guess we should get into talking about flux um when did you start getting interested in Flux? When did your interest in React blossom into the adjacent interest in Flux? That was actually a, a relatively short period of time, I guess a couple of months. Um, you know, as I started getting more into React, there was this definite feeling that um, some something was missing. Like, obviously, React is just really kind of a view layer concern, and you could put all your data in state, but that it just felt wrong. And, um, you know, different people were talking about how in larger applications, the data management got a little bit harder to deal with, or you ended up passing props through multiple subcomponents that you, you, they didn't even need the props just so that some eventual child could get those properties. And when Facebook started talking about Flux a couple of months after I started using React, I was like, oh, this is it. This is the, the thing that sounds like exactly what, uh, what I'm looking for. Right. And so we've discussed Flux several times on this show, but it is a significant paradigm shift, and I'd like to get another explanation of it from you. What is Flux? Sure. Um, so in my mind, Flux is really made up of, of one or two really core rules, um, which are designed to make the data flow in your application easy to reason about and, and bugs around, you know, global application state changing, easy to find and to fix. And those two rules are, one, uh, you have these things called stores, which um, you can kind of think as the models of, of the data piece of your application, but they hold all of the application state that's not transient, that's not like what the user is doing at the time, like the menu's open or closed, that sort of thing. And the important thing about the stores is that only a store is allowed to change its data. So there's no setters on the store. And the second important rule is the only reason that a store will ever change its state is because it responded to an action. And an action is just um, a description of some semantic intent in your application, like add a comment or delete a comment. You're not telling the store how to add a comment or how to delete a comment. You're just telling, hey, if there's a store out there that cares about comments, please add or delete a comment. And the store is responsible for actually doing the data mutation and any bug in your application state logic ends up really being localized to um, the dispatch of that action to the stores or the way the stores handle that action. Can you talk about that in more specificity? How does Flux make the bugs easier to track down and fix? Yeah, so it, like I mentioned, a lot of it is is locality. Uh, so for example, say you, you, um, you click a delete comment button in your application that you're developing and something weird happens in the UI. It doesn't look right. Um, if you're using Flux, then you know that um, you know if the bug is related to the application data changing in a way that it shouldn't have been changed, then there's a very finite number of places that you need to, to look. Um, one would be the place where you're clicking the button and actually dispatching the action to the stores to just to make sure that you're dispatching the right action and it has the right parameters associated with it. And the only other place you need to check are any of the stores that respond to that particular action, because that's the only way that the application state can be, can be changed. Just to make this more concrete for people, can you describe the relationship between the view and the dispatcher and the stores uh, in Flux? Absolutely. Yeah, I kind of glossed over that. Um, the dispatcher is its a key piece, I think, to the Flux architecture, but I don't think it necessarily deserves a lot of attention. It's kind of a, um, it's kind of a middleware piece between you know, the views and the stores. Um, essentially, all the dispatcher does is keep track of the list of your stores. And when you ask the dispatcher, hey, I want, you know, I want to add a comment, 
the dispatcher is the thing that's responsible for telling all of the stories like, hey, someone wants to add a comment. If you happen to care about this action, please do your thing. Um, so from you know, the point of view of a React component, all you're really doing is saying like, hey, someone out there, I'm dispatching an action that should add a comment and you don't have to worry about the stories that are attached to the dispatcher. The dispatcher kind of manage that, manages that for you. So I guess on a, a higher level, it's you know, the views talk either directly or indirectly through you know, some method to a dispatcher. A dispatcher has a list of stores that it dispatches to, and then the um, stores are generally event emitters or some other sort of uh, observable that the views watch. And whenever the data changes, the React views will re-render themselves. Is Flux a replacement for model view controller? Uh, I think so, and actually, if you look at the uh, the Fluxor website, that's one of the main um, comparisons that I make on the uh, what is Flux page. Um, Does that seem heretical? Uh, I I think it can sound heretical, and I think that's <laughs> I, th I think that's because um, you know, other than a few, how, how you know, small old is NVC? Oh man, you know, I'm I'm not even sure, and you know, there's not. <laughs> I've heard of patterns like, you know, there's the model view presenter kind of pattern and a couple others, but for the most part, I mean, MVC goes all the way back to like, what, the small talk days, I guess? I know it's old. I don't know. Um, that's, that's, I don't know. I guess that dates both of us. Yeah. Uh, or doesn't date both of us. If we, right. we, if we have, if neither of us have any idea what the origin of model view control, I thought it was like handed down with the Ten Commandments right. from God. <laughs> Um. So, okay, that's interesting. So, but it, so it, it maybe it's a replacement for model view controller. Is it uh, an evolution of model view controller? Like, are there like how can we draw similarities for people who are coming from the model view controller world? Um, what are the analogs? Like, is is the model, for example, is the model uh, analogous to a store? In some ways, it is, and I think this is a little bit why why the flux pattern was, and, and maybe still is, hard for people who are new to the idea to grasp. Which is actually the reason I wrote Fluxor in the in the first place, and that's it's because you kind of there's not a lot of direct one to one mappings between the two. I think there are a lot of ideas that are like, oh, that looks kind of like this half of the model, and this is kind of sort of like a controller but there aren't really a lot of one-to-one -one mappings. You know, on a really, really, really broad level, a store could kind of be considered the model in that it holds your state. And the dispatcher eh, could sort of kind of be considered a controller in that it notifies the stores that things need to change. But the, you know, the, the control is inverted where, you know, in a model view controller, your controller generally tells the model what to do. And in Flux, the dispatcher just tells the stores that there was some intent and asks them to take care of the details. Right. Um, what are the hazards of model view controller? Why do we want to move beyond model view controller? For, for me, there's this um, specific class of bugs um, that MVC apps tend to um, <laughs> migrate toward, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. And that is a situation where you have you know, you've got some number of views, generally a, a relatively high number of views in any sort of moderately complex app. And these different views are watching one or more models for these models to change. And when these models change, uh, you know, if, if you're doing things really well, you've got some sort of declarative view binding system that you're using. But a lot of times you're just watching for some model to change and you're manually adding or removing a class on some DOM node somewhere. And it's really, really easy, one, for the, for the DOM to get out of uh, sync with you know the data that, that you think you have by you know messing up some logic somewhere and the other is that you know when you click a button in your application and things change it's very very difficult to figure out why those things changed any number of models could have emitted change events um, you know any number of views could have called methods on who knows what and um, you know it, it very much it's the opposite of the you know the flux ideology of having a very uh, local you know the bugs are very local where this is like much more of a global concern and you kind of have to grip through the whole code base to figure out what's going on. Are you describing the cascading update problem? Uh, partially. I think um, that's part of what I was describing and it's definitely one of the issues. I think the other issue is just, um, it's just a matter of the number of dependencies. Um, you know, if you look at 
diagrams that, uh, of kind of a flux architecture, you'll generally, generally see a relatively linear, or I guess sort of a circular path, but it's, all, it's a very one-way data flow. The data comes out of the stores into the React views, actions come out of the React views into the dispatcher, and it's a relatively easy flow to follow. But if you modeled the views and the models in an MVC app, chances are you'll see a much more convoluted graph and you know, even if you know, okay, this model changed this field, it's still very difficult to know the, the eventual effects that that might have on the application. Does Flux bear some similarities to a PubSub system? Um, yeah, I guess in some ways. Um, I guess it's not exactly the same, but uh, you know, in so much as that the dispatcher, you know, basically publishes out these. Um, these actions to the stores and the stores sort of stores don't so much subscribe to them, I guess um, the, the dispatcher sends every action to every store and then the store just decides if it needs to respond to that action or not. I see. Um, so why does flux work so well with react? Like we're talking about this model view controller transition to flux. Why is that specifically inspired by react? Yeah, and I, I think it's it's a very interesting question, and I actually think that Flux will not work nearly as well for any view system uh, that doesn't have kind of the always re-render um, mindset, as, as it were. Um, and I think if, actually, if probably the best way to think about Flux is if you take React and you know its properties to um, you know take the same props and always render the same thing. And work backwards from that, and like finding the kind of the ideal data management system that you might end up with something that looks like Flux. And so, the reason this works so well is when a store changes its internal data, all it says is, "Hey, I changed." Uh, there's no details about what changed. There's no specific uh, specific events to bind to. It's just that any React component that relies on data from that store will see that the store will change fetch all of the necessary data and re-render itself. What is what is Fluxor? So Fluxor is um, you know, a relatively small, very basic uh, library that is essentially an implementation of the Flux design pattern as described by Facebook. Okay. And why did you write Fluxor? When Facebook first started talking about Flux, um, I found it very interesting. And I think a lot of other people found it very interesting. And there was a lot of buzz about it. But they, did, they didn't really share any code or any implementations. They're like, here's kind of the idea. Here's kind of the problem that it solves. Hope you like it. And that, and that was kind of the end of it. And the more I tried to kind of wrap my head around this new and interesting paradigm, the more I thought, like, maybe the best way to do this is just to implement it and you know, implement it in a generic way that I can use on multiple applications and see what it looks like. And so that, that's where Fluxor was born. And then after I wrote it, I thought, well, if, it, if I found it useful, maybe other people found it useful. So I threw it up on, on GitHub. And how has the adoption been? Uh, the adoption has been really good. Um, so I'm pretty sure Fluxor was the first um, Flux framework. And um, it's still, you know, one of my goals was to relatively closely follow the design pattern as Facebook described it. So kind of a vanilla implementation of Flux, as it were. And um, it, it got a really good response. I actually, <laughs> I had an entire like morning of, you know, the morning I was going to publish it, I had it all planned out. You know, I was going to finish getting ready for work and I was going to, you know, push the web page up and I was going to post to Reddit and I was going to post to Twitter and all this other kind of stuff. And um, it came to my attention that the original name for Fluxor, which was Fluxbox, um, is already taken. It's a window manager for Linux, which I oh, knew terrible. but forgot. Yeah, so someone opened an issue, and I'm like, oh, you're totally right. Before I do all this stuff, I'll just change the name. I'll re-register the website. I'll migrate. You know, all the DNS stuff will be great. And as I was doing that, I got an email from um, Viju, I believe, who was like, hey, um, I know you've been asked to change the name of your project, but it's doing really well on Reddit, and there's a tweet going around. Could you please bring it back? And I had no clue that this had already made it out into the internet and that people were already looking at this. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Yeah. So anyway, I kind of got that all, all sorted out. And How then, did uh, it get discovered if you hadn't blasted it on the social media? I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm trying to remember now. I ended up tracking down the, uh, the post on Reddit that, that shown it. But I guess, you know, when I had pushed it, you know, the night before or whatever, that someone happened to see it and was like, oh, hey, look at this. That's fascinating. So, um, 
it sounds like you wrote Fluxor as an effort to actually just learn how Flux works. Is that accurate? Yeah, that, that's very accurate, and, and in a way that can kind of be generic enough to use for you know more than one app. Yeah, and I think I think that actually speaks to something. I think uh, you know the the times where I've actually gained an intimate understanding of something, it is only by doing. Like it's very rare that I can just like stare at a textbook or you know some flow chart like a like a like the flux you know all, for all the all the staring at flux charts uh, I've done you know you you can't really learn uh, how to how to, how it works without really getting into the weeds of uh of working with it or to take it to the extreme actually writing a framework that supports it Absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly what I, the situation I found myself in. I was you know, really interested in this idea and, but just couldn't quite imagine what it would look like or how it would work. And there were questions about how do you handle asynchronicity, you know, an Ajax request and all this kind of stuff. And it was just, I was just, didn't feel like I was getting anywhere just sitting around and thinking about it. So you, you mentioned that asynchronicity in most JavaScript web applications you need to fetch data from an external data source at some point. I mean, you're on the web, you're interacting with all these different uh, feeds of data, and it's often ambiguous how long that will take. So this necessitates some asynchronous data fetching. How does Fluxor handle the asynchronous data fetching? Yeah, so um, Fluxor doesn't really prescribe any particular way of dealing with this. Um, you know, it, it's a fairly generic tool. It gives you the tool for dispatching and handling actions and, and managing stores and, and you know, sending the, the change events and that sort of thing. But I think there's a pattern that I recommend and that a lot of other people that use a, a vanilla Flux implementation use. And that is inserting a new abstraction between the um, components between your views and, and the you know actual dispatching of an action. And these are called action creators. And all an action creator does is help coordinate you know some other piece of sometimes asynchronous logic that needs to happen you know before you dispatch an action. So for example, if you post a comment, um, you'll call an action creator called something like add comment. And the first thing that action creator will do will dispatch some sort of optimistic action that says, dear stores, the user wants to add a comment. We're going to assume this is going to work. So go ahead and modify your data so that when the views re-render, it looks like the comment was created. In the meantime, we'll fire off an Ajax request you know, via some data layer that actually posts the comment to the server. And then when that request either succeeds or fails some point in the future, we will dispatch another action letting you know whether this succeeded or failed, and you can re-modify your state as necessary. Okay, I understand. Um, and you recommend using React Router with Fluxor. What do you like about React Router? Oh, what is there not to like about React Router? React Router <laughs> is great. Those, those guys have, uh, have done a great job. I had the privilege of uh, meeting Michael Jackson at a, a meetup that we hosted at work. Yeah, he's and a great evangelist. He is. He, he's great. And uh, I don't know how those folks get so much done. But, um, you know, React Router is... <sighs> Take a step back. So Ryan Florence uses this phrase a lot, and I, I really, really like it. And it's something along the lines of, you know, JSX or React can describe a tree of things. Sometimes that's a DOM tree. It's describing your views, but it doesn't have to be. And, you know, so he's kind of in this... Um, epiphanic state, I guess, where he's realized that he can use React to describe this, you know, any sort of tree of data. And, and this is kind of what React uh, Router is all about. And so you describe, you know, you describe your routing hierarchy the same way that you would kind of describe a view in JSX, uh, in, in React component using JSX. And, um, you know, the, the new APIs that they have, I believe um, 1.0 RC1 is out um, as of this time, and it's it, it's really nice. It, it has everything you need and still like a really simple API. One thing I find interesting about uh, React Router, and I was actually talking to Michael Jackson about this, is, um, you know, when I initially was looking at React, my understanding was like, okay, you're building these components and they're all visual components. They're all user interface components. But then you look at the router and you're like, this isn't a visual component. You know, your router is not something that's visible to the user. Um, and so, you know, I asked him if he thought that we're, we're moving, you know, at least in the context of React, if we're moving towards 
like a component oriented programming style um or where we're just programming in components and uh and and creating logic between them because because a component isn't doesn't i mean i guess it feels kind of like a class i guess it is sort of like a class but um do you think that there is is there like a new paradigm coming here like uh, or or is this just like yet another version of object oriented programming i think um I think it feels like a new paradigm sometime, but really, like if, if you have a React component and it doesn't have any state, you never call set state or you never use this dot state, then essentially all you have is a function that takes props and, and returns some JSX. And so I think what, what React really is, is functional programming. And um, I think that's where actually a lot of the power uh, from React is coming from. And so when, when, you know, he says something like, you know, excuse me, when I hear someone say something like component-oriented programming, you know, in, in this kind of context, I really think uh, that's actually functional programming. And I think React has done a good job of taking this concept that's always sounded fairly academic and maybe a little nerdy and packaging it in, in, in a way that's, you know, useful and that people can get work done with. Um, Talk about that more. Why is functional programming so desirable? So, I mean, I guess there's a few properties of functional programming that, that make it nice to use. The first one is that, um, you know, mutable state tends to be pushed to the boundaries of the system. Um, you know, Flux is a great example. Um, you know, some of my favorite Flux applications have been in projects where none of the components actually have any local state, where all the state is actually stored inside the Flux stores. So none of the components ever call, you know, set state. All they do is display their properties and call functions, you know, passed in as properties when, um, when they're clicked. And, um, you know, functional programming is nice in that regard in the same way that you say a React component is nice to work with because you know if you get the same props and you have the same state that it's going to return the same thing. And so these, you know, these functional paradigm, oh, excuse me, these functional programming paradigms are easier to reason about for the same reason, you know, given the same input, you always have the same output. They're also easier to compose um, which is another property we always say is nice with React components, but really I think it's just a property of functional programming that you can compose functions in the same way that you can c- compose components. I'd like to get back to talking about Fluxor. We've talked about Flux in the abstract, and we've talked some about your Fluxor implementation. You have a number of examples on the Fluxor website, which I'll put in the show notes, and your documentation is really good. Your examples are awesome. Thank you. Could could you give could you walk through one of your examples and describe how the different aspects of that example slot into the aspects of the Flux architecture? Sure. Um, so I, I, the most basic example I have on the site is the um, the little to do app, which is actually um, you know marketed as the getting started guide, and uh, you know the goal is basically to write as little code as possible to get a real, you know, Flux-based React application up and running. Um, and, um, you know, it's very, very simple. It, um, so I think, believe, I believe toward the top of the file, we declare a couple of action types, like adding it to do, um, marking it to do as completed, and clearing all the completed to-dos. And um, one of the things that, um, back up a second, and then uh, we have one store in this application, and the store I believe is called the To Do Store, and it's um, fairly straightforward. It does what you what you think it would do, and that is hold the state of the current to do list. And uh, you can see in the uh, the initialized method of that store that we tell the store that when it sees these certain actions, we're going to call these functions inside the store, and those functions mutate some internal state that we have that keeps track of the array of to dos. And at the end of that operation, it emits a to-do event so that the components that watch that store knows that the store has changed. And then the components are also fairly straightforward. Um, Fluxor ships with a couple of um, mix-ins that, uh, you know, the goal was to help getting... The goal of the mix-ins was to make getting data out of the stores and into a React component a little bit simpler. And um, I think there are some newer, better paradigms um, that I'll be working into newer versions of Fluxor. But the the one that ships with it is called the um, uh, Store Watch Mixin, and all you do is pass it uh, a list of stores that you want to watch, and then when any of them emit a change event, it will call some function 
This function should return any new state that you want to state, set from the flux store, and then uh, it will set that state for you. And of course, your, your React component will re-render because the state has changed. Could you describe some of those newer, better paradigms you're going to be working into? Sure, yeah, and I think um, uh, a lot of the um, newer Flux implementations and the Flux-inspired implementations uh, really got this right, in particular the, the React guys um, and um, you know Dan Abramov, who you chatted to recently with React D&D, um, got this, this, this idea very correct of a, a higher-order component, and that is, you know, ideally your React components would just take in state and then render things. And you know, maybe when you click on a DOM, it calls some function that's also passed in as prop. I'm sorry. I believe I said would only take in state. I meant only take in props. That's um, fine. And the problem, I think, with the Storewatch mix-in and, and that ships with Fluxor is that it mixes this into your state. And of course, in a rack component, you can modify the state by calling set state. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there. And I think a much better pattern is to declaratively say okay i have these stores whenever they change here's a function that will take the data in these stores and translate them into props and then these props will be sent to my component and one of the really nice properties about that is um one it helps make the components more reusable because they just take props they're not tied to any specific store and for that purpose they're also much easier to test because in a, a testing environment you can just pass them whatever props so you mentioned Dan Abramov. We had him on the show yesterday. Um, he's the author of Redux, which is sort of a different take on Flux. What is your opinion of Redux? Redux is great. Um, I haven't looked into it nearly as much as I would like to. It's funny. I mean, these these things are starting to become so popular. I um, you know managed an interview where I work today, and uh, the gentleman that was interviewing with us wrote his you know little homework app in React and Redux, which I thought was great. Um, and I really like the ideas behind Redux. Um, really, really embraces a lot of kind of the functional paradigms, I think. Um, I think at first, Redux um, struck me as a little complex and a little hard to understand. There was a lot of scary words like thunks and, and that sort of thing, but I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think the, uh, the abstraction that they found is really quite nice, and I think it's extremely flexible. Um, you know, was demonstrated by how easy it is to build dev tools for it. Um, you know, you just you pop it in as as part of your reducer. Um, so anyway, I, I like it a lot. I think it's a, a nice evolution on kind of the flux ideas. Um, I still think that um, you know a lot of people will still use flux. Um, you know, I still use flux for for things at work and things on personal projects as well. Yeah, um, I think maybe. Uh... Dan, Dan seems to have been uh, heavily influenced by reading an, a book about Erlang as a teenager. So I think that he had, <laughs> I think it was like a traumatic event for him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, it's like, I don't know, it seems like a superpower now, though, if, it, uh, if it's all, you know, if we're moving towards such a functional paradigm. Um, so Dan also created React Hotloader and React D&D. And you said that you have used these tools and you uh, have benefited from them, it would be great to hear how you use them and how they assist your development. Absolutely. Yeah, so I haven't used uh, React Hotloader myself, um, but I have used React D&D. Uh, &D, and um, React D&D &D was another one of those projects which at first can look a little intimidating because there's a lot of terminology that you use. Um, and you're used to if you're used to you know drag and drop with something like jQuery UI, you're like, man, I just want a draggable and I want a droppable. What's what's kind of what's so hard about this? But the abstraction that that Dan has built with React D and D is one that's extremely flexible and one that um, puts the data as the first class citizen. Um, you know, so the fact that you're dragging around a DOM node is really kind of an implementation detail. You don't really deal with DOM nodes; you deal with data. And um, similar to the, the higher order components we were talking about, you know, with hooking up flux source to components, there are also, you know, these higher order components that will, you know, take this declarative, you know, this set of functions that, de that declares how the data should be transformed when things get dragged and things get dropped and wrap your component in a component that injects the necessary properties to make all that work into your, 
into your component. Interesting. Um, what are the subjective aspects of Flux that lead to so many different implementations? Like, there's there's been this Cambrian explosion of different types of implementations. There's yours, obviously. Uh, there's Redux, and then there's you know trillion others. Why are there so many? I think there were a few things that actually led to kind of the explosion of, of Flux and Flux-inspired uh, libraries. I think the first one is that you'll, you'll have, like we were already talking about uh, before, when there's something that you want to try to understand, you know, a good way to do that is to try to implement it. Um, you know, this is the old saying, like, you shouldn't reinvent the wheel unless you want to learn a lot about wheels. And I think in this case, people... <laughs> People wanted to learn. You know, I've never heard that wheels. phrase. <laughs> who, who says that? I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure someone says it. It's pretty funny, um, but it's true. You know, it, it's a good way to kind of to kind of dig into that and learn about it. I think another reason is that you know, Flux, while presenting some ideas that maybe were a little more complex or um, kind of a shift from the way people were thinking about uh, programming it's actually not that complex. So the amount of code that you actually need to write is not that high. And, and you know, that's still the case, you know, even with Fluxor today, it's not a very big project. You could, you could sit down and read all the source code and probably understand it really well in, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, and then the subjective piece, I think, that uh, caused people to want to try to improve things or change things, I think is mostly around the, the boilerplate um, that vanilla flux uh, requires, and this is still a, an issue that I have as well with flux. And um, I'm very interested in people's ideas to making this less verbose. I think this is another thing that Redux is doing very well. Um, but you know, there's a sentiment that if you want to add some new interaction to your app, you you know you create some new action creator that dispatches an action. Well, that means you need to have some new action type, which usually involves editing some constants. And then for all the stores that care about that action, you need to have some new way of responding to that action. And then also you need to edit your React component to, you know, to call the function. And so this is you know, you know, four or five places that you're editing your application anytime you want to add an interaction. I personally like the explicitness of it. Um, one of the things I like about Flux is how explicit it is and how it um, helps manage you know, the amount of code you need to search through to figure out um, what's going on. And um, so I think that's a trade-off I've been happier with than other people. Um, but a lot of other implementations are doing things like letting you return promises from your action creators and automatically dispatching and that sort of thing. Is Fluxor the first large open source project you've worked on? Um, it's certainly the most popular. There are two other projects that I worked on. Um, that were approximately as popular as Fluxor. One was um, an infinite scroll widget for AngularJS. I, I used to do a lot of AngularJS. I was a huge Angular uh, enthusiast for a long time. And um, I've since handed that off to um, someone else on GitHub since I no longer really work with Angular. And the other is this um, crazy idea of a project I had which just shows little rotating globes on a canvas. And it's got kind of this plug-in interface and you can display animated pings on the map and stuff. But uh, I think this is the first like really serious, useful thing that uh, that's got gotten any sort of attention. Did did your move to React did that coincide with your move away from Angular? Yeah, actually, it did. Um, uh, and there are a few reasons for that. Uh, one of them was um, you know when I when I uh, started working at Minerva, um, they didn't use uh, Angular, and I had, I had introduced Angular at a previous job and uh, used Angular on a, a very large Angular code base kind of in between. And then at Minerva, they weren't using uh, Angular at all. So, um, you know, it kind of gave me time to explore other technologies and stuff. And I think this kind of coincided with about the time that um, Nathan had recommended that I, I check out React and give it another chance. Um, the people have talked about angular adopting some of the ideas of react is there anything stopping angular from becoming like extremely similar to react or is there is there some fundamental uh two-way data binding uh hurdle that angular cannot overcome to become uh to take advantage of the things that react can take advantage right right 
Um, you know, I haven't been following it as, as closely as, as I was at the beginning. I okay. definitely think, um, from what I could understand, and I could be way off base here, um, from what I could understand about it, um, Angular was uh, adopting some of these ideas, but not enforcing them. So I think if the developer you know, was willing to you know, give up some of this two-way data binding stuff and embrace more of a functional one-way data flow, that, they, that you, know, you could definitely reap some of these rewards. And the fact of the matter is you could do something very similar to React in terms of um, how you structure your application, not in terms of you know, the virtual DOM and the re-rendering bit. But um, you can do that with, with directives, um, but you also kind of go against the grain of a lot of what Angular does already. When you're at work, do you find yourself thinking about your open source project, or do you find that your interests are lying equally with you know, your, your actual work uh, creating the Minerva project uh like is is that are you just as fascinated by that as your personal hobby project yeah absolutely and you know i think there's a lot of overlap there i mean as i think this is a common sentiment but you know as a developer i like making things that make my and other developers life easier and obviously if i'm you know using a technology i I believe in it for one reason or another and um you know i've introduced uh, some react at work and um, flexor is being used for a couple of projects as well um, I've given an internal brown bag on React, and we kind of spent about an hour and a half working on some little example apps together, and kind of that exploring. must be super gratifying. It it really is. It's um, I, I really enjoy sharing you know my passion for certain things with other people, especially you know programming related, and um, you know in this case I feel like that you know this combination of React and Flux or something like it. Um, you know, could help make our developer experience better at work, you know. So there's obviously a a desire there to kind of help push that forward as well. Have you thought about contributing to React itself? You know, I have. um, And I think I've issued a few small pull requests, I believe, in the past. Um, A a lot of this has to do with, um, I think, maybe a couple of things. One of them is this kind of feeling of grandness of the project. You know, React is... um, a big project with a lot of big names behind it, a lot of, you know, um, a lot of kind of momentum. And sometimes it can feel hard to dive into the code base and really, yeah. you know, work on it. Um, the things that I've looked at in the past have been fairly self-contained and I still felt, you know, a little lost as I was trying to explore the code base. Um, and the other thing is just the time to dedicate to it, uh, you know, with, um, you know, working at a small startup that's trying to do something um, you know, on the scale that we're doing and also working on some, you know, the personal open source projects, it's hard to devote the time that I would like to really dive in and really understand that code base. There is a debate that I've come across while I'm uh, doing research for this week of shows, and that's this debate between web components and React.js. I uh, was talking to Michael Jackson about this, and he got very uh enthusiastic <laughs> during this debate uh but what i mean what's your view on the web components versus uh you know versus react debate yeah i haven't looked into web components probably as much as i should uh, i think i really started hearing about them about the same time as i got into react and by that time i was already pretty in love with react and really didn't see a lot of need to look into web components but I think in, in hindsight, the, the main difference between React and Web Components is that React's, React is attempting to take the DOM out of the equation. You know, the DOM is an afterthought, you know, and, and the, the changes we're seeing in, in 0.14 further emphasize this. And with projects like, you know, React Art and React Blessed, you know, you're seeing that, um, you know, React isn't about the DOM. It's about this declarative programming model for describing UIs or other pieces of data that uh, I just don't think web components will be able to match that sort of versatility. I see. So I would love to hear your take on where things are going with this larger buffet of different options that Facebook is creating. Uh, There's GraphQL, there's Relay, um, and these things are, you know, complementary to Flux architecture and React have you have you messed around with these much? Have you used Relay or GraphQL? 
I have. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, I started uh, messing around with these, and um, it was another project that I, I was surprised that it took a little bit of time for me to like really get going and wrap my head around. Um, and you didn't implement your own? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, a little, a little ambitious for my taste. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the projects themselves are great. The ideas they present are are wonderful. Um, you know, React already allows you to drop into such a declarative mindset for creating for creating your components and for manipulating your DOM or your native app or whatever the case may be. And to be able to take that pattern and extend it to the data that you're fetching and the data that you're manipulating on, on the back end, I think is a natural extension of React. Have you used React Native? I haven't. Um, so I have an Android device. So I was patiently, ever so patiently waiting for ah. the for the release where uh, Android support was enabled. And I saw just a couple of days ago that it's there. So it's, it's on my to-do list. Right, definitely. Um, so where are you going with Fluxor? Like, what is the what is the future? You mentioned some uh, some objectives, but I'd love to hear where you're going with the project on a higher level. Sure. Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently as I've I've started to have more time to work on it. And I think there there are two big two big directions that that I kind of want to go. And I don't know if this will all be in like version two or if maybe this will be over a longer period of time. One of them is to make kind of the underlying pieces more accessible and more extendable for people that that want to get into those details um you know for example right now flexor ships with a very basic store some people are like oh it'd be great if i could you know have my own custom store that does really fancy stuff that i want to do and right now there's not a great way to do that in flexor because some assumptions that are made you know between the way the dispatcher and the, and the store communicates with each other so I'd like to, you know, really kind of decouple that stuff as much as possible and make it to where you can use your own dispatcher, your own stores, your own different pieces of middleware and that sort of stuff. And that's kind of been a goal for a while. Um, and the more recent goal has been around this idea that we talked about earlier of, um, you know, providing a more, a better API in terms of like getting state out of the store and into your components, providing higher order components. Um, you know, Fluxor was written way before you know, uh, React.Component was a thing and before, you know, ESX classes were a thing. So there's some work that I need to do to, you know, properly support those sort of patterns for people that don't use mix-ins and, and all that sort of thing. What do you think of the Facebook engineering team as a whole? Like, I think their approach to open source and building technologies in general uh, is, it seems very different and distinct from any other company out there? Um, I mean, do you agree with this? Do you, do you think that they're they're doing stuff that's like does it does it seem somehow like strikingly different than the other companies that are uh, heavily involved in open source? Yeah, in some ways. I mean, to be honest, Facebook you know was the last company I expected you know so much great open source engineering uh, you know to come out of. Um, I think what in particular that impresses me with the Facebook open source is they have this really good balance of polish for the projects that they release, but still releasing them early enough that they can get, you know, community feedback and, and that sort of stuff. You know, really is a great example. You know, when, when I was using Relay, um, you know, there were some rough edges around the documentation and the tutorial that, you know, I gave us feedback to the team. But it was extremely usable, and it worked very well, you know. And, and so I, I think they've done a really good job of striking that balance. It's also nice to see a company that will, you know, have open source projects, and they're open source in more than just words. Uh, you know, a lot of places I've worked, you know, we want to do more, you know, developer outreach, and one of those ways is having, you know, open source projects. And you know, contribute to the open source community. It's easy to publish a package on GitHub, but it's not so easy to manage pull requests and issues and make sure things stay up to date. And um, the amount of time and energy that they dedicate to making sure those things happen is very impressive. What are the big frustrations and the big issues that you continually have in web development? Oh, man, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think one of the issues that... Um, I don't think it bothers me as much as some people, but it definitely affects me in that people that I, I work with and people that I interact with 
find this a problem in, in the ecosystem is um, the rate of change. And you hear this over and over again, that, you know, the churn rate is very high. Things are changing very, very quickly. You know, ES6 is, you know, just out the door and we're already talking about ES next and, and decorators and all these other, all these other things. And um, I think there's this general sense that um, things are in a bit of a frenzy and people aren't really sure how to keep up. Um, you know, a lot of people were just figuring out Flux, you know, and various implementations are still coming out. And now we're like, oh, by the way, we're talking about GraphQL and Relay now, you know. And um, so I think that's that's something that um, will eventually come to a head and, and that, you know, we'll need to find a way to deal with. But do you think, is the velocity fast or is it fast and increasing? It's a good question. Um, I can't help but wonder if it feels like it's increasing uh, simply because of the number of people that are that are working on it. Um, or the singularity. Right. Um, it's a good question. I, to be honest, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Um, like I said, I don't have as much of an issue with, with the velocity or, or the seeming velocity because I, I enjoy experimenting with cutting-edge libraries. Um, you know, but a, a good example was, was today as I was working with the interview candidate um, uh, you know, that came in today and had his project in... in um, React and Redux, um, he wanted to show me the dev tools and he went to install the dev tools and the versions had already changed. And so the peer dependencies <laughs> wouldn't resolve. So like in a day we went from this project that was totally working fine to a project that needed some love in, in its dependency management. And I think that's just, um, I think it's a symptom of things maybe still settling down. I think, um, you know, some of the ideas that React present are in no way new but I think they packaged them in a way that developers didn't really have access to, and um, you know most front end you know client side developers didn't have access to you know if you weren't working in you know more obscure languages, some of these ideas might be you know totally new and um, I think they kind of threw everyone up in the air and everyone is still kind of landing and finding their place and um, you know there's a good chance that this may settle down a little bit once uh you know once the once the idea has kind of settled down. You know, in some sense, this this type of really fast pace is super advantageous to a company like Facebook that's f- basically full of people that want to aggressively adopt stuff. So it almost seems like a competitive advantage for them to uh, encourage this this rate of change. Um, maybe not so much uh, at a company that's kind of gotten swollen like Google. Uh, may- I mean, maybe this is a maybe this is a strategic advantage (laughs) maybe i mean you know when it's all said and done i think it's um it's overall a good thing for the community i think it's much better than the opposite alternative which is you know stagnation um i would much rather be in an environment where there are too many choices and things are changing too fast for me to keep up than an environment where um you know the tooling is not great and it doesn't seem to be changing cool well that seems like a good place to stop Brandon Tilly, thanks for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. It's been great talking to you, and I will be following Fluxor. Thank you so much. It's great being here. I appreciate it.